Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Chronic Fatigue and Burnout Recovery Podcast. Today I'm doing part two of the series in how to support a loved one with chronic fatigue or other chronic illnesses. So if you haven't already listened to part one of this series, which was the previous episode, then please head over to that episode because this one is going to piggyback off of that. And there's some really important concepts that you'll want to understand from part one that will serve you as you listen to part two. In this episode, I'm going to be talking about three main things. The first is communication, the second is needs, and then I will be offering up a framework by which you can evaluate your relationships and categorize relationships in a way that may help you feel more empowered and will also help you to set better boundaries. So let's just dive straight in and start to talk about communication. So let me first begin by saying that healthy relationships are all built on communication and whether or not you're having a communication breakdown due to a chronic illness experience or just communication in your relationship is poor, this is something that you're going to really want to work on. And as I move into the content of this episode, also to say this is work. And unfortunately, when you're tired and you're not feeling well and you're already fed up with life and all the other things that you're trying to juggle alongside your chronic illness experience or alongside supporting someone with a chronic illness experience, this can feel like another thing on your plate. And if you notice yourself already wanting to run away or reject it or get angry or frustrated or if there's some resistance here... A reminder just to be curious about that because I would encourage you to think of this as part of the healing journey, not separate from it. Because as we work on ourselves so that we can have better communication and healthier relationships, those are the parts of us that actually need the healing and therefore contribute to the creation of wellness over time. So although some of this may feel like work and it can feel like another thing on your plate, please keep an open mind and see this as part of the healing journey. You don't have to heal everything all at once. You can go at your own pace, um, but have this in your awareness for when you feel resourced enough to work through it. So this whole series about is about feeling supported or how to support a loved one. And communication when it comes to support relies on a few important things. First of all, the ability to ask for what we need and then communicate when your needs are not being met and give feedback about what could work better or what you need instead. And then also making your request in a way that it can be heard and then honored by the supporter. And this applies to both the supporter and the chronic illness experiencer because everybody in the relationship has needs. And the needs of the chronic illness experiencer are not more important than the needs of the supporter. We both have needs or you both have needs and you both need to make sure your needs are met for your relationship to work. And so therefore, it's something that we all need to be working on as we navigate the collective chronic illness experience. And I have worked with countless clients who have felt a lack of support in their relationship, 
but when questioned, they have never specifically and clearly communicated what they actually need. They just expect someone to read their mind. Or I have also worked with countless clients who are really doing their best to ask for what they need, but these requests are falling on deaf ears for whatever reason, and that can be particularly frustrating when you're already tired and unwell, you're asking and asking and asking, and you're not getting what you need. So as we look deeper into this concept of communication, we want to consider a few core concepts. And the first one is you cannot expect someone to read your mind. People have different ideas about how things should be done, what's okay versus not okay. And if you are not receiving support in a way you would like, you want to reflect on whether or not you have specifically and clearly stated your needs. And maybe you have, and maybe you are being very specific and clear, but if you're not, this is an invitation for you to get specific and clear. The second concept is you teach people how to treat you. And here I will probably swap the word treat for support. So you teach people how to support you. This means that you must first be clear on the boundaries of how you want to be supported. And you must be able to vocalize and give feedback when your expectations are not being met. So there's a little journaling exercise, which I'll share with you. And this will go in the show notes so you can come back to it. But just to read the questions out here, how am I currently being supported in a way that is meaningful to me? Is support being offered in a way that is unhelpful or possibly counterproductive to my healing? What support am I not currently receiving that I would like to receive? What do I need to ask for specifically? And here there's the encouragement to be as specific as possible. So I'll just share a few examples of specificity, which is I need you to cook dinner by 7 p.m. on Tuesday and Thursday evening. So not I need you to cook dinner sometimes. I need you to cook dinner twice a week, but time, day and the task required. Or another example I need you to listen to this podcast, the one I'm currently recording, by next week, Friday, so we can talk about it together on Saturday morning when the kids are at tennis. So highly specific. Task, when you want the task completed by, why the task needs to complete be completed, because so we can talk about it, and then a specific deadline for that as well. So specificity, specificity, specificity. This is something I've definitely had to learn myself, even just in my business. When I give, when I set boundaries with clients, you know, you're constantly refining your boundaries and you're like, oh, that person didn't listen to me or that person, you know, got that to me late. And then, you know, going back and looking at the communication, then just realizing I wasn't specific and clear enough. So more specificity, more clarity just helps everybody know what the expectations are. It gets everybody on the same page and it means that there's less opportunity for disappointment, which leads to us feeling unsupported. So then the next concept is once is not enough. And what I mean by this is that when you are conditioning a new behavior, so you're teaching someone how you want to be treated or supported, repetition is key. You know, when we do brain retraining, we repeat, 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 repeat. We learn 
new skills through repetition. So you may need to repeat instructions, you may need to repeat requests, you may need to reassert your boundaries several times, you may need to revisit and repeat certain conversations. And I hear you, this can be really frustrating when you're already tired and feeling unwell, and it can feel like another thing you have to work on, especially when you're repeating, 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 repeating. But unfortunately, relationships take work and you get to choose which relationships you actually want to put this work into. You don't have to put this work into all relationships. Um, and that's actually what we'll get to when we look at the relationships framework I'll discuss at the end of this episode. But provided you invest this work into the right relationships, it will pay off. And it will save you not only energy in the future, but you also have probably a greater sense of connection and understanding in your relationships. And that contributes to the feelings of support. Very often I'll chat with clients and they'll say to me, I have asked, but they don't listen. Or they say yes, but they never follow through. So there is a saying in NLP, neurolinguistic programming, which goes, the meaning of your communication is the response that you get. In other words, if you are repeating, 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 and constantly making the same requests or setting the same boundaries, and it does really feel like it's falling on deaf ears, you'll want to change the way that you're communicating or you'll want to communicate in a different way. And there's a specific process that I teach my clients so that they can do this. But in a nutshell, it comes down to the following. You need to acknowledge and point out the problematic behavior specifically. You need to state specifically how it's having a negative impact on you. You don't want the person to feel too bad and get their defenses up. So then you also want to acknowledge the positive intent behind the problematic behavior and that it's the the behavior that's the problem, not the person. Then you want to make a request for what you need instead and then ask for consent, ask for agreement to move forward. So here's an example. This might be somebody who is the chronic illness experiencer communicating with their supporter. When I tell you I'm having a bad day, you often jump in and try and fix the situation and find solutions. When you do this, I don't get what I really need, which is to feel seen and understood. And I feel even more disconnected and alone. So problematic behavior, how it's having an impact. I know this is hard for you too, and that you are trying your best. So acknowledge the positive intent behind the behavior and acknowledge that it's the behavior, not the person that's the problem. I would feel more supported and connected to you if you would just sit with me and listen to what I have to say without trying to change the situation. So make a request for what you need instead. Are you willing to give this a go? Ask, asking for consent and agreement. So that brings us to the end of the communication section. And I'll move into talking about needs. The success of the conversations that I've described to you are determined by our ability to know what we need and to ask for it specifically. But the challenge with chronic illness is often we have been disconnected from our needs for a very long time. 
And this makes it hard for us to ask for what we need because we may not know ourselves. And here I'll say that this is actually not a chronic illness problem. Not knowing what we need can be a human problem too. And this is also applicable to the supporters. I always say that a healing journey is about reconnecting to our needs and honoring them. So how do we connect to our needs? We connect to our needs by connecting to our bodies and again, connecting to our nervous system. So our nervous system is constantly sending signals every single moment of every single day, telling us if we're moving towards or away from safety. And building a relationship with those signals will help you connect better with what supports you and what is dysregulating you. When you notice dysregulation in the body, that's an opportunity for you to know that there may be an unmet need. So first of all, we need to be able to connect to the body. We need to be able to feel the body. We need to be able to track our nervous systems and then notice when there's dysregulation. And then when we notice there's dysregulation, instead of getting swept away by it, there's an opportunity here to ask yourself, what do I need in this moment to move in the direction of regulation? And if you feel like you're so far away from doing that, you know, connecting to your body, tracking your nervous system, asking yourself that question, that is a big part of the nurturing resilience program that I teach. So once we've asked ourselves the question, then we may also just need to evaluate if we think about those different attachment styles, is this a need that I'm able to meet on my own? Because somebody who has anxious attachment may immediately want to go reach out to someone who's safe instead of building the capacity to meet their needs internally. Whereas if somebody is more of an avoidant attachment style, they may try to meet the needs constantly on their own instead of reaching out or asking for help. So we want to know, is this a need I can meet on my own? Or actually, do I need to make a request here of a partner, a friend, or a family member? Then the role of the supporter, so that's the partner, friend, or family member, is to be a safe space for a request to be made, which referencing back to the first part of the series means that they need to be taking care of themselves and their nervous system so they have the capacity to support, to have someone ask something of them without snapping or getting angry or you know lashing out or just avoiding and self-sabotaging and not following through. So if the person with a chronic illness has a tendency towards self-reliance, asking for help or making a request can feel very unsafe. It may not feel rational. You know, the supporter might be going, well, why don't you just ask me? But for the person who has a tendency for self-reliance, they're not asking because it doesn't feel safe to ask. But over time, we can learn to feel more safe to ask if we make requests and we're met with positive reinforcement. And so therefore, it is the role of the person who is supporting or the person to which the request is being made to be that safe space and to offer positive reinforcement that you can ask for help. It's okay to have needs. So I have a little tool which can make this easier for both parties because remember, requests go either way. And it's very, very simple, but the person making the request must ask, are you available? 
And the request, are you available, is not the same as asking, do you have some free time right now for a chat? But rather, it's a request for energetic availability. So really what it's asking is, are you present and regulated in this moment? And in other words, is this a good time for us to have a conversation that could be challenging for both of us to have? The supporter must then check in with their body and if they feel like they have capacity, if there's a sense of okayness, if there's a sense of regulation, they can say, yes, I'm available. If they notice some dysregulation, some activation, or it's just not a good time for whatever reason, they can say no and appreciate to a sensitive nervous system that struggled to ask for help. Saying no can feel like a massive rejection. So say no gently and offer an alternative. Uh, for example, I'm having a bit of a tough day. Let's talk after dinner tonight once the kids are in bed. Again, there specificity, not later in the week. Let's talk another time. Let's talk here and here. Um, or it could just be something like, can you give me five minutes? I'm just going to go grab myself and then we can have a little chat. And then that person can go away and just settle their system and then come back to the conversation. So just a reminder here that this works both ways. This is not a chronic illness formula for communication and asking for needs. This is a human formula, which means that the roles can be reversed. Maybe the supporter is going to say, are you available to the chronic illness experiencer? And they'll just be like, no, now's not a good time. I've got a migraine and I can't see straight and I just need to be in a dark room with my eyes closed. Um, can we wait until this is passed? And again, it's difficult to be specific in those cases, but you can always just do your best. So here's an example of a dialogue. So in this example, I flipped it around. So the supporter is making a request of the chronic illness experiencer just to keep things balanced. So the supporter says, are you available? The illness experiencer checks in with his or her body and decides she has the capacity for the conversation. Responds, yes, how can I help? And how can I help is just such an opening. It, it just creates so much openness in the bodies of everyone. So it's a really great line to use. Then the supporter says, I know you've been going through a crash at the moment and you keep telling me I'm not doing enough to support you. I find it really hard because I want to help, but it often feels so helpless. Your criticism makes me feel even more useless. And then I wonder why I even bother. So again, here, we're pointing out the unhelpful behavior, how it's impacting you, but also making about the behavior, not the person. I know you are struggling and that you don't really think I'm useless. What would help me help you is if you could be more patient with me and perhaps give me some positive feedback on the things I'm doing well. So again, asking for what would work instead, would that be okay? And then asking for a confirmation on consent. And so you may have gathered by now that making a request is actually a really big deal. First of all, you need to be able to connect with your body. You need to notice if there's dysregulation. And then you need to notice that a need is not being met. You need to work out what is required of that need. So is this something you can meet for yourself or is this something that you need help for? Then you have to overcome the discomfort of asking for help. 
You have to wait for a good time when both parties are regulated and energetically available so that you can ask for help. Then you have to be able to communicate your needs in a way that your request can be heard. And then the other person has to receive your request without becoming defensive, blaming or shaming, i.e. they have to have the capacity to be there and respond to your request. So whether this is the supporter or the illness experiencer making the request, appreciate how much it has taken to get to this point. And therefore, if you consent and if you agree to the request, make sure you follow through. That, that is my request of you, is make sure that you appreciate how much energy went into the conversation and therefore don't disrespect it by not staying true to your word. There's enough going on already in everyone's lives. So to help you get there a little bit easier, I also drafted a list of needs from the Instagram community. So to save you some time and energy with these conversations, these were some of the things that the chronic illness experiences did that they needed. I need to be encouraged and given permission to rest. I need my supporter to take an interest in my illness experience. For example, read blogs, books, listen to podcasts like this one and watch documentaries. I need my boundaries to be respected. I need to be invited to events, parties, etc. Even if I cannot make it, it helps me to feel included. I need you to stay in touch without the pressure to respond to text messages. I will get back to you in my own time. And a note here, it's just really hard for people in freeze to stay current with communication. So please have patience for them. I need to know that you believe me. I need you to take an interest in my healing journey. For example, ask me about the therapies, ask me about my experiences and different approaches that I'm engaged in. I need support from you financially. And obviously there you can flesh out specificity. I need you to come to my medical appointments with me. I need you to advocate for me at appointments or with friends and family. Remember that sometimes people with chronic illness will go into freeze and overwhelm and they may struggle to advocate for themselves. I need you to help with X, Y, and Z. You can insert a physical task here around the home. And again, remember to be specific. For example, I need you to cook a healthy dinner three times a week on a Monday, Wednesday, and Friday evening by 7 p.m. I need you to ask permission before you give me advice. I need you to take care of yourself too. I need you to do things that you enjoy, even if I cannot join in. And then here are some needs for the supporter. I need space and rest from supporting you. I need you to respect my boundaries. I need you to acknowledge when I get it right and when I do things that you find supportive. I need you to understand that I have bad days too. I need you to understand that I am healing too. I need you to understand that this is hard for me too. I need you to understand that I don't always know what to do. I need you to understand that I'm doing my best. And so hopefully some of those will help you in some way. And so then the final piece I want to share today is something called the hierarchy of relationship or HORS, H-O-R-S. This is a framework that I learned on my neurostrategies training with Steve Linda, which was an incredible training that I did in 2018. I actually was recently on a call with my nurturing resilience group, and we were actually chatting about this topic of support. And I touched a little bit on this framework, and they eventually just made me add it to the program as a bonus training because they found that um, it would be very useful. So hence, I share it here, and hopefully it will be useful 
useful to you. And if you would like to work through this in a more structured way, again, it is a bonus in my nurturing resilience training. But ultimately, it's based on this idea that relationships are often classified as you know, friends, family, work colleagues. And when we classify relationships in this way, we lump probably differing relationships all in the same categories. And therefore, when we lump them in specific categories, we have specific expectations that are associated with those categories. But then when our expectations are not met, we feel let down. So, and when we feel let down, we feel unsupported. So having a different framework by which we can evaluate our relationships may help us to get more congruence with expectation and behavior. And therefore, we can also identify the people who are going to be our primary supporters as we move through our chronic illness journey and also the relationships we want to invest the most of our limited energy into as we navigate our chronic illness journey. So the framework is as follows. There's five different levels, and these are referred to as the cabinet, which is what I refer to as the inner circle. And this is the most intimate group of people that you would just bear your whole soul to. And these are ideally or should be the people that you do feel fully seen and supported by. And probably where you're feeling under-supported is where you put someone in this inner circle category who's not supposed to be there. Then we have peers. So peers are the next sort of row out, shall we say, from the cabinet members. And there's probably a high degree of intimacy in the peer relationships and specificity. So where is with the cabinet members or inner circle, it's just like everything is like all on the table. With peers, there may be a high degree of in intimacy, but only in specific areas. So for example, you might share intimate details about your finances with your accountant, but you wouldn't talk to him or her about your gynecological issues. You may talk in depth with a work colleague about work-related issues, and you feel a very strong bond there, but you wouldn't necessarily share intimate details about other relationships in your life. So there may be some friends that you share intimately about certain topics, but some topics you just don't discuss with certain friends, whereas for inner circle members, you discuss all topics with them. So peers have specificity. Then you've got friends, and friends are just the light-hearted, fun relationships. They're just kind of like happy-go-lucky. You enjoy the company of your friends, but you're not experiencing as much intimacy as you would with your cabinet members and your peers. And then we've got acquaintances, so that's people you maybe know, or you know they're at a barbecue, but you have a little chit-chat with them, but you don't necessarily make plans with them and communicate with them outside of maybe group environment and then strangers the people you haven't met yet so now that you have an understanding of these categories you kind of want to know what the rules are for the categories and maybe as you're listening to this you're already kind of putting people into certain categories but my encouragement is to create the rules first and then to put people in the categories so there's four rules that you would want to create is what must they do, i.e., what are, what are my expectations of this person or of a person in this category? What must they never do? So, what again, what, must, what am I expecting of this person? 
what must I do? So what are the expectations I have of myself in how I relate to people in this category? And what must I never do? So if you wanted to, you could take a bit of time to sort of flesh that out, creating those rules for each of the different categories. And then once you have the rules, then you can assign the people in your life to the category. And what most people find is it's not always what they expected. And you're putting them in the categories based on how they comply with the rules that you created, not on where you think they should be. So for example, if someone was a bridesmaid at your wedding 20 years ago, you might think she's in her circle or he's in her circle. But when you look at the circle and the rules and you realize, well, that person actually doesn't respect the boundaries of what I've created there. Where would that person go and say instead? Actually, they're not even appear they're only a friend and now I can understand that I'm feeling disappointed because I'm expecting something of someone and then they're behaving differently so disappointment happens when we're expecting someone to behave as if they were for example an inner circle member but when we evaluate the reality of the situation the relationship may reflect more of a friendship level and this is ultimately where we feel unsupported is because the expectation is that so-and-so would do X, Y, and Z to support me, but they're not doing X, Y, and Z. And then we realize, oh, it's actually, I'm expecting a different level of behavior than the classification of this relationship. And it can be very powerful to make a mental shift. And when you move that person, say, from inner circle to friends and the expectations change that can actually really help the relationship grow stronger because there's less resentment now and then maybe that relationship can then be nourished back to an inner circle level over time when most people do this exercise they usually realize that they have less people in their inner circle than what they thought and in case this question is coming up for you, you'll want your romantic partner to be an inner circle member. And if, if that person isn't, that's okay, because you can communicate your needs, you can nurture that relationship, and you can bring them up to inner circle standards if that's something that you want to do. So the good news is we can nurture our relationship so that friends can become peers, peers can become inner circle, and sometimes we can meet a stranger and they can very, very quickly become almost valued in a circle member and that's what happened to me when I met Francesca Liparati who I interviewed for the perimenopause episode she was a stranger who became an acquaintance and that very very quickly became an inner circle member so just know that you know your next inner circle member could be around the next corner so what has this got to do with chronic illness and support? It's likely that your illness experience has changed your rules because your needs and expectations have changed. So you've probably never really taken the time to think about this. And therefore, it's even more unlikely that your inner circle, your friends, your peers, and your acquaintances are aware of the changes either. You probably didn't even know about the hierarchy of relationships before. Now you've had an opportunity to evaluate your rules, but those rules have probably changed should you have learned about this framework prior to becoming unwell or even different stages of life. The consequence is that you might find yourself disappointed, angry and frustrated when your expectations are not met. 
And this may have been happening before your illness experience, but now the illness experience has exacerbated the dynamic. And this is where all the previous parts of this series have come in because we may need some re-education around what the expectations are. We may need some re-education around what the needs are. And therefore, there may need to be some good communication skills. So people come into our lives for a reason, a season, or a lifetime. And as you move through your chronic illness experience or navigate something like CFSME, friends and relationships will change. And that can be painful. And it's not to say we shouldn't feel sad when someone who was an inner circle member now becomes a peer or a, an acquaintance. We do want to hold, we do want to hold space for the pain and the loss. But some people may nurture themselves up into your inner circle without you even realizing it. And some inner circle members may just move away. And it, it's painful, but it's okay. So your part in this is to communicate your needs. And if someone cannot meet your expectations, it's okay to change the position in the hierarchy. This actually might take some pressure off the relationship. You feel less disappointed. You feel less let down. And this might actually just be a temporary requirement to give the relationship a bit of a break. And that creates opportunity for it to go stronger again. So making this change might also mean that you're not giving as much energy to relationships that you shouldn't be giving energy to given your limited energy availability. And this frees up energy and time for your healing or for the relationships that are most important. So thank you so much for listening to this series. And where I'd like to wrap up here is that this probably sounds like a lot of work. And you may be thinking, I already have a chronic illness. I'm tired. My brain is foggy. And now I have to do the hierarchy of relationships and work out what all the rules are. And I hear you because this is a lot of work. And my encouragement, and I said this at the beginning, and I'll say it now again, is not to see this as separate from your healing, but it is part of your healing. And we can't attend to all the parts that need healing all at once. So you have the autonomy to choose which parts you tend to at what time. But the constant stress of dysfunctional relationships is a stress on your nervous system. And it's a contributing factor to how much you get to enjoy your life. So my words of wisdom are as follows. Take one manageable step at a time. And healing takes time. We can only move as fast as the slowest part. So be kind and gentle and compassionate with yourself as you lovingly navigate your healing journey. So that brings us to the very end of today. If you have enjoyed the series, share it with someone in your chronic illness community. Share it with your loved ones and supporters and if you would like to, you can always leave me a view. I would greatly appreciate that. And until next time, have a wonderful fatigue recovery day.